If you would, please take your Bible and find Jonah. Well, this month, we are talking about missions, world evangelism, and I think every Christian ought to be a local and a global Christian. There are many reasons why the world has not heard the gospel, uh, primarily through the enemies of the gospel. There's three of those, and that is the false religion, communism, and nationalism. Uh, I think false religion, you, you know why you can't get a, the, preach the gospel freely in uh, Saudi Arabia. Why? It would be one reason why you can't preach the gospel freely in Saudi Arabia or, Yenian, or Yemen. Islam, right? False religion. Why would you have a hard time reaching the people of, uh, of India? It's not a communist country, but what would be, what would be your biggest hurdle? Hinduism. Be the challenging going to the, the state of Utah. How about Italy? Different things that cause you some challenges. And oftentimes, false religion is a barrier to getting people to the gospel. Everybody has to deal with that. Everyone who's trying to proclaim the truth of the gospel will run into the obstacle of false religion. Communism is another thing that's been very challenging. For many years, it was hard to get into Cuba. There was one reason why, besides Fidel Castro, and that was communism. Why did uh, our missionaries get recently asked to leave a country? It's because of communism. And many places of the world, North Korea, one of the challenges there is communism and a dictatorship. Laos, Vietnam, communism keeps... They, can't, they cannot conduct communism, and Christianity cannot coexist. That's why it's so scary to think we have someone who's maybe a viable candidate for the presidency who's a socialist. Because you have to deal with, you have to deal, if, if you're going to be a communist, Hitler understood this. He took the kids out of the parents' control instantly, took away the Bible. And, and our country did that years ago, too. I wonder why people are so squirrely in their thinking. They have no moorings. There's no anchor for their soul. They, had, and they don't understand the Ten Commandments. So it's written on their hearts. There's something inside of them, and their conscience knows what's right, what's wrong. But there are real challenges because they don't know the truth. Remember years ago, a lady was dying, and her, a young girl was dying, and her parents were atheists. They kept saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, and as she was slipping into eternity. And she said to them in frustration before she, a day or so before she said, she goes, you're asking me to hold on, but you've given me nothing to hold on to. <laughs> you want me to hold on to what? Nothing? But yet uh, that is something that's a communism has been a problem. False religion is a problem. Another challenge is nationalism. And that is prejudice or an overemphasis on one's own country. Thinking just about Americans, thinking just about Peruvians, or just about Mexicans, or, you know, Canadians for Canada, or whatever. And, it, and it, we kind of, you know, God is a global God. He said, I want you to go to all nations. And it, he, he, is, uh, he is very well. He can change the lives of anyone in any culture. And it's his job to change them, not my job. I can't change anybody. We're get the gospel out. But nationalism is a problem. And it was a problem in the book of Jonah. Jonah, of course, one of the prophets, and we just by virtue of, of just a reminder, we find in the book of Jonah a missionary commandment. Arise and go to Nineveh. He had no interest in going to Nineveh. Nineveh was modern-day Iraq, or that was, that was the Assyrians there. Mosul, the modern-day, he's like, I don't want to go there. 
When those people came in, they were so cruel. And I said this morning, whenever the Ninevites or the, the, the people from Assyria were coming to a town to capture the town, the people would commit suicide to avoid being tortured by them. They're so cruel and so mean. And they were very bad people. And eventually, a few years down the road, probably 100 years from the time that Jonah prophesied, they would be overtaking God's people, the northern tribes of Israel, the Assyrians and over, overseeing them, and they would marry their girls and eventually become Samaritans. The Syrians married with the Jews, and the Jews became Samaritans, and the Jews and their product of that became Samaritan people. And so Jonah had no interest in going there. And, but when God called him, he took off. Rather than going east to Nineveh, he went west, and he purchased a ticket. He went down, down, down. Three times the Bible tells us he went down. He went down to the port, he went down in the ship, he went down and went to sleep and tried to sleep off the conviction that he dealt with. And by the way, be careful. God's dealing with you, let him deal with you. Don't try to ignore his urges by jumping on your video games. Don't try to jump on, on some kind of gambling thing or pornography or alcohol or drugs or start taking, you know, dad's medicines or whatever. If God's dealing with you, you say, well, I don't like the way I feel right now. Don't try to get feeling some better with some kind of stupid pseudo cover-up. He found his way to sleep. He wanted to sleep. He got down on that thing. He went to sleep. And, of course, there was a challenge. There was, a, there was judgment coming to that little vessel on that sea. They, men knew it was, it was a god. They didn't know if it was their god, some other god. And finally someone woke him up. And they began to avoid judgment by getting rid of things. And some people try to, try to go to heaven by getting rid of stuff, getting rid of old habits and stopping and turning over new leaves. That doesn't work. Then, of course, they found out Jonah was the problem, and, and we see that uh, then, they, then they tried to row harder. <laughs> and trying harder is not going to give you eternal life. And if you go sowing very long, you're going to find people who are trying to get to heaven by rowing harder, trying harder, or getting rid of things. But it takes the sacrifice. We see in Jonah, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, there's a reminder that as the Jonah was in the belly of the well, three days, three nights, so shall the Son of Man be. And Jonah's a type of the Lord because Jonah, it was one substitutionary sacrifice. As soon as Jonah went overboard, everything went calm. The storm ended because of the price of one. And that's the same is true with our Lord Jesus Christ. The substitutionary death of Christ brings salvation. Also, the supernatural resurrection. Three days later, after a three-day prayer meeting, the most unusual place, in chapter number two, uh, God causes the, the, the fish. And By the way, sometimes every once in a while you get someone, I don't believe that. That's just a fairy tale. And the truth of the matter is, I don't really care if you believe it or not. But the truth of the matter is, God, he can do that. If, if, he, if, he, if, if Jonah died, and some people think he died, and then God just brought him back to life, well, that's fine. Can God do that? Remember I heard about a guy named Scarborough who was preaching on a Sunday morning about Jonah. His son was riding home. He said, Dad, do you really believe that? He said, he said believe what? He goes, man, did actually Jonah was swallowed by a whale and live and, and did all that? He said, son, if God could make the world out of nothing? If God can make everything we have, if he can make the galaxies and, and the different colored fish and all the, the rainforest, if he can do all that, he said, well, now, when you bring God into it, that makes sense. <laughs> well, let's bring God into it, right? 
And whether how he wants to do it, that's fine. But Jonah, uh, he, uh, the fish gets a bellyache, spits him up, and here he's got seaweed around his face. He's got shriveled up skin. He's got pale. He's got, got uh, acid all over him. And he makes his way to Nineveh. He's a reluctant prophet. You can see yourself, and I'll see myself, in, in Jonah somewhat. But he goes there and he begins to preach. And the Bible says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, say in chapter 3. And we see a couple things about uh, the, the mission. Number one, it's a mandate. It's a command. Arise and go. Every Christian ought to be a going Christian. Every Christian ought to be a sowing Christian. He that goeth forth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Bringing the sheaves with him. You go sow, God's going to bless you. We ought to be a going Christian, and God tells us to go. Number two, we see the communication of missions is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The substitutionary death of Jesus and the supernatural resurrection of Christ is the gospel in a nutshell. And that's what we see here. Then we see the change. So he preaches, and God begins to deal in the hearts of the Ninevites. From the king all the way down, and this is not a small city. This would be the size of like Memphis, Tennessee, or, or maybe Springfield, Missouri. Or, uh, it's, it's, it's a large city. They have 120,000 children there who are so young, they do not know their left hand from their right hand. It's a loaded country. It's a, it's a country that is, is a, it's a real country. We, even our, tonight, uh, Brother George said Mosul is modern day, was what Mosul now is, was what was, used to be Nineveh. It's historically true. It's, it's obviously throughout history has been known as, as a city of this. But nonetheless, we see that uh, it is a large city, and the king and everybody in it, they do three things in chapter 3. Number one, they believe God. They believe the preaching of Jonah, that you're going to die in, in, in 40 days. I'm going to destroy Nineveh. And they said, you know, we're going to take our chances. We believe what God said. Number two, they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. You see that in verse number eight. So they believed God and they cried to the Lord. By the way, isn't it wonderful that you can cry to the Lord? I think in the Bible you'll see a little distinction between prayer and crying out. Now, any old baby can cry. How many of you are big babies? I'm just joking. I don't know what to pray. Now, prayer is something we learn to do, but crying out is something you can do naturally. Sometimes you just say, Lord, help. They cried out to the Lord, and the Bible says they turned. They repented. I know there's some argument about repentance, but I don't believe you get saved without repentance. It's a change. And then I'm talking, you can't always see repentance, and I don't think you can do that, but there has to be somewhat of a, uh, a, a change of thought, a change of mind. Believe that, that God puts that in there. It's not something I can qualify and say, oh, no, you're not repentant or whatever. I don't know all of that. That's why you want to share the gospel clearly with someone. That's why you're not just trying to get them to one, two, three, pray after me. You want to give them, because there's no conviction, there's no conversion. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict us of three things. Of our sin, of the righteousness we need in Jesus, and of judgment to come, according to John chapter 15. Whenever someone gets saved, the Spirit has to be there for it to happen. And he uses the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by Word of God. That's why you don't just want to get someone to just, uh, oh, yeah, you're saved now, and have to convince them they're saved. But there is a, there is a change in their hearts. You've got to be very careful. Usually, uh, years ago, I, I figured out, I think it would be better if I asked someone, do you have any questions about what, what I explained to you? 
Sometimes I just really quickly just learned, I would just, okay, let's pray. So do you have any questions? Anything is not clear? Can we review these one more time? Because I'm not trying to get one. I'm trying to get the gospel out. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God. I'm not the power of God. The gospel is. But it needs to be explained. And faith comes by hearing is the word, understanding. If it was just hearing, then our deaf brothers and sisters over here wouldn't be able to get saved. But it's not a hearing, it's an understanding. But when you're winning someone to Christ, and you're talking to them about Christ, you want to give them understanding. If they have a question, answer their question. If they have something that's not clear, try to, try to help them with that. Don't try to snowball them and say, well, you know, it doesn't matter. Some things do matter. Sometimes they'll put something in the middle of it, and the devil will provoke a dumb question. But most of the time, it's questions that are legitimate, and we can walk them through that. And if you've got a Bible, and if you don't know the answer, tell them, you know, I've got to find that out. I don't know. I'll find that out and get back to you if you need to. But let them know what the Bible says. And here there was preaching, there was repentance, there was crying out to the Lord, and there was faith in God. And God changed and said, if, you, if, you will, uh, if you'll humble yourself, then I'll have mercy upon you. And God chose to have mercy upon the Ninevites. And they were happy, but their preacher wasn't happy. Most people, when we preach, we want to have, have results. There are good results. People turning to the Lord. Well, Jonah got fired up. We find here at Jonah after this revival, and God said, you know what? If you'll come to me, I will have mercy. Remember this, God is a merciful God. Uh, we read this this morning. Brother Palmer took us to Psalm 117, and I read it again this afternoon. And, and he's, he's of great mercy and kindness. God does not delight in judgment. He delights in mercy. He wants to see people change. He wants to see that, and he wants them to come and know. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so in chapter 4, though, Jonah throws a fit. And let's look at it real quickly, and, and then we'll come and make a few observations, and I'll conclude tonight. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, so he's very frustrated, and he was very what? Angry. And by friend, may I tell you, how many good things do you do for the Lord when you're angry? The Bible says, be angry and sin not. Okay, you're going to get provoked to be anger. Anger is an emotion. Even God has it. Okay, so you're going to have anger. And the Bible does not forbid necessarily all anger, but he said that when you sin. So if someone provokes you, that's going to happen from time to time. And you're going to get frustrated, angry, if you will. Many people say, oh, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. Well, you're angry too, okay? You know, I'm just hurt. I'm not angry. I'm just hurt. No, you're angry. Go ahead and admit it. Okay, so he said, we said anger, but sin not. Don't, don't, don't let it take you to sin, because the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You'll not do the right thing when your anger is out of control, and it leads you into a sinful, a sinful response. But no doubt about it, Jonah is fired up. He's exceedingly displeased at what he sees. And he's very angry with the God who would forgive them. Verse number 2. And he prayed. Here's an angry guy praying. Can you pray when you're angry? Yeah. And he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was, uh, when I was yet in my country back in Israel? Remember, I, told, I knew this. Therefore, I fled into Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to Aren't you glad that God's all that? And of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech ye, 
thee my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? So he said, Lord, how about this? Just kill me. Just take my life away. If this is how you're going to deal, I knew how you were. You're going to get me to come over here. You're going to change your heart. You tell me to preach the gospel, and I'm going to preach and tell them the judgment is coming, and then you're going to respond to their humility, their honesty, and you're going to say uh, they've repented, so I'm going to repent. I'm, I don't want to hurt them. I, I want them to be reconciled with me. I knew that's how you were. You're gracious, you're good, and all that stuff. And I told you that back when that's, what I, that's why I went to Tarshish. And then the Lord says to him, you know, do you think you're justified in being angry? You're good? He said, you think you're okay to be angry? And boy, he comes back with a question. He said in verse, verse, five, verse 5, so in Jonah, Jonah says, uh, he went out of the city, and uh, he sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, or kind of like a little, a little place to sit. And he sat under the shadow uh, till he might see what would come of the city. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come over Jonah, that it might be shadow over his head and to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. So this, this, uh, this uh, frustrated little baby here, um, he uh, goes out there and he's, he gets, do you think you're, you're, you do well to go angry? And he goes, you know, I'm tell you what, forget it. I'm going to go out there and watch what's going to happen. I don't know if this is 37 days later, if he's going to wait for 37 days out there or 15 days. He said 40 days and I'm going to destroy. He preaches, they repent, God deals with them. So he go makes, makes him a little booth and he sits there and just watches what's going to happen. And then the Lord brings a gourd, which is a large leafy plant that grows up in a day and, and comes over the top of his head and protects him from and cools his booth and wherever he's at there because it, it, it takes the shade away. It takes put additional shade. So here's what the Bible tells us. He says that God prepared. By the way, God's always preparing stuff. What are some things God's prepared here in the book of, he prepared a great fish? God's always in the, in the preparation business. You say, man, Pastor, I've had such a rough year. You're in preparation. God's got something for you. I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that, that uh, Joseph set in prison of delay, and I spoke to my friend about this just recently. You know, and, and here he is. He was 17 when he left his dad, last saw his dad. 13 years ago, he's been up and down. He, he's gone through the, the time of going to the slave market, being purchased by Potiphar, growing from the ground all the way up to the foreman of all of his house, and he wrote his checks and bought his groceries, and he didn't care about anything. And then, of course, a false accusation put him back and put him in jail. And he's sitting there, and he's serving the prison meals. The warden says, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I can use your help, and you serve the prison meals. And he actually just ran the prison as an inmate. But his beard grew, his clothes were not, not what they wanted. Here is a Hebrew boy, and he's twiddling thumbs in the prison of delay, wondering, when is my ship going to come in? I know I can do more than this. I ran Potiphar's house. My dad taught me. I, if I was just on the outside of these walls, I know I could do more. I feel like I'm in a prison. I'm limited so much. And friend, you're going to have that. I've had that. Remember one time, and it's nothing. I love teaching school. And for 11 years, I went every, every, every uh, time there was school, I was at school. 7.30 every morning for the teacher's meeting. And 
Then go to, go to school. And I never went one time to school thinking, I hate this job. I always loved teaching school. But there were times where I thought to myself, I remember uh, driving back one time from Houma, Louisiana, and I was driving back and on a bus, and we stopped. We had played a basketball game or a football game. I can't remember which one. One of the kids lost her temper. I felt so frustrated because here we are, a Christian school, and one of his kids lost his temper and got a technical foul. and It was just driving me crazy. Then we stopped at McDonald's, and some of the, some of the clowns turned the, the salt paper, salt shaker and the pepper shaker, and it poured all over the table. And I was so furious, and it made a mess. I made him go back in and clean it up. And then I get back in the bus, and I see all these clowns falling asleep in the back, you know. And I'm looking, and here we are going two and a half hours back. I'm driving this bus, that CDL license I got while I was in college here and still using it. And I'm 30 years old, and I'm thinking to myself, is this the ministry? Is this why I went to Bible college? Is this why I surrendered myself to serve the Lord? To babysit a bunch of clowns back here? And I see them like, they're sleeping. I'm having to stay awake, mop up their mess. I'm thinking, is this, is, this is not the ministry, brother. I was on the wrong bus. Laura, if you want to preach, go to another church, Gloria. I'm just teasing. But you know, two of those guys became assistant pastors. Several of those precious girls are now serving the Lord in different places. People that just uh, used to aggravate the fire to me now are serving Jesus, being used to the Lord. Some of them are in prison. <laughs> and need to be. So they pay penance for what they put me through. But you know, I was thinking to myself, is this what this was? Am I going to be a 50-year-old school teacher, coaching and doing these things. And I thought to myself, it would have been fine, but is this what God wants for me? It wasn't just too many months later that the Lord gave me a call and the church got real desperate without a pastor for 13 months and asked me, would you be our pastor? I initially told them, no, I couldn't do that, but I hope you find somebody. And they said, we're fasting and praying. What about you? I said, I'm praying, <laughs> not fasting. But, uh, I said, won't you fast and pray for a week and we'll call you back. And sure enough, I became a pastor at the age of 32. You know, I think all of us go through those times where things are not going as fast as we like them to go and want to go to the place that we like them to, to be. But we need to trust the Lord. Trust His providence and know what He's doing. He loves us. He cares for us. He's building us. He, we're under construction. None of us are a finished product. I quoted this morning, except the Lord build the house. We labor in vain to build it. God's working in you. Remember a little song? He's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How wonderful and patient he must be. He's still working on me. He's working on me. He's working on you. He's taking care of you. He's protecting you. Unless the Lord keeps the city to watch him. You know, every day of the world could be a 9-11. All those airplanes flying around. I mean, that, that, that could happen every day of the world. You know what keeps that from happening? God. We could have problems like that all the time. We live in a very, a very merciful state where God's got our back. He loves us. And he loves us and we can rest. We don't have to stay up at night, get up early in the morning, eat the bread of sorrow, just eat your problems, just chew on them like a cow chews on a cud, over and over, just review all your problems. He says, listen, fall asleep. There's no sense both of us staying awake. 
God never slumbers or sleeps. He said, why don't you rest? Know that I love you. I don't know what Jonah's problem was, but God gave him a gourd, gave him a little protection, and boy, did Jonah get happy. Oh, yeah, finally a good thing happens to me. And look what happens the next. The Bible tells us that God prepared. What did he prepare the second day? He prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and smote the gourd that it withered. So God prepared a gourd and he prepared a worm. And it came to pass that the sun did arise and God prepared a vehement, a horrible, harsh east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah and he fainted like had a sunstroke. And wished himself to die. So two times in just a couple days, he wanted to die. And said, it's better for me to die than to live. By the way, whenever you say that, that didn't come from the Lord. Everybody who's been alive very long has oftentimes thought that. I think life would be better if I was just dead. Maybe I should just die. Maybe I would be better dead than alive. Everybody has had that sometime, if you're honest, sometime in a moment of discussion or or depression, or discouragement. And we see old Jonah, he's all fired up, and he says, you know what, just kill me, just kill me. If you're going to change your mind and have mercy on these people, just, just, just kill me. And now he has a good day, he's become bipolar somewhat. He gets the gourd, ah! and the worm eats it. Can't just anything happen right to me. You know, I thought I had this going, now this has happened. And then the sun beats on his head and causes him to faint. And he's like, I just want to die. Just kill me right now. Get it over with. By the way, whose job is it to kill anybody? If God's going to take you home, let him do it on his terms. Say, well, it's just better. Let me tell you something, friend. Nothing hurts people any more than a child of God taking his life. Hurting themselves. Don't do that. Boy, that's something God doesn't want for any of his children. And can someone do that and still go to heaven? It's murder, and God can forgive it. But only God's the one who should do that. And when you have these temptations, you better run to God quickly. And, 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 do it. and some of us have a little more prone to that because of father wounds and mother wounds and teacher wounds and, and spouse wounds that we've received. Sometimes we have a little bit more fatalistic look at life and just like it's better if I didn't live. And not everybody's going to feel like you feel about that. Some of you say, I never think about that. Well, somebody else has. We need to ask God and say, Lord, I need to trust you. Love him and know he loves you. But nonetheless, the Bible tells us that Jonah said, just can you kill me? It's just better for me to die than to live. And then look, if you would please, at the conversation he has with the Lord. Would you look at verse 9? And, and God said unto Jonah, doest, I well, doth, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Just kill me. Let it be over with. Then said the Lord, Hast thou, thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it to grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not spare Nineveh, this great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and the left, and also much cattle? So he confronts, he confronts him, and he asks him, really, he gave you an illustration. He gave you a gourd, and gourd represents our comfort zone, in my opinion. He made him happy for a moment. And then the Lord let a worm come and take away that, that thing that comforted him. 
And he was more, he was more impressed with the, with the gourd than the gospel. And you know, all of us have that problem. And I think it's on steroids here in this room, and especially in the United States of America. We are all about our comfort. I get embarrassed even thinking about this. I'm this way. Many of us, even the poorest person in this room, has a more comfortable scenario than probably 50% of the world's population. In a few weeks, if the Lord will let me, I'll go to Egypt again for my 11th time. I uh, thank God for the opportunity to minister to those pastors. I do not, and I wish that this weren't on, on live stream, whatever, but I don't really care to go to Egypt again. I've been there, done that. But I, there's nothing in Egypt that, or even the Middle East that really attracts me to go back there. You wake up to the calls of prayer. Oh, 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 oh you hear it. Starting about 4.30 in the morning. You're looked at continually. You're disdained. Every place a Christian goes, they, they put up, if, you, if a Christian puts a Christian church, they, they force someone out of their home and put a mosque across the street and put speakers out and so that they're, during their service, they're, I always thought when I go there, why do these little churches that, that seat 100 people, 30 people, 50 people, they have microphone systems. But they have to almost have a microphone system to out shout the, uh, the mosque across the street. I said, why don't you bring a Bible to church? He said, oh, we have a few Bibles, but if you carry a Bible, they throw rocks at you and they follow you and curse you. If you're a good doctor, you know you'll never be chief. If you're a good, if you're a good police officer, you'll never be in charge of anybody because you're a Christian. And you live in a country, and I thought to myself, you know, it's not where I really want to go to see it, but you know, I, I feel like these people, I can leave and come home. They have to live there. They have to live under that oppression, that continual oppression. And Egypt is one of the better countries to live in. Saudi Arabia, much more serious. And Yemen, and northern Sudan, and Morocco, and other places. Anything they do is questioned. And, and you know, every police officer, for the most part, is going to be on the other side of the fence. Every politician on the other side of the fence. There's not very much favor given to you. I think to myself as they beg me to come back. And, Pastor, please keep training us. Keep teaching us. I'm thinking, I don't want to. I don't want to. But, to. but those are my brothers. Those are my sisters. And they need to have encouragement. They need to have someone there. And whether it's comfortable or not comfortable. But boy, I think about my comfort. I'm, I'm there like two days and I'm craving an Egg McMuffin. You know, I just uh, drink enough tea to float a battleship. Can't wait for a Dunkin' Donut coffee. Lots of challenges to those situations, but I think about we live so comfortable. We want, I want to be comfortable. We were talking about what we're going to have and what we're going to fix up and how we're going to live more comfortably when the world needs the gospel. And boy, Jonah, he was just about his own mindset, his own thinking, his own feelings about things, his own desires, and not about God. He wouldn't get on the same page with God from beginning to end. Now, he did it. And we see that God sometimes will use reluctant servants. He doesn't, you remember the years ago, the guys, uh, he told the, the Canaanites to get away, and they didn't listen to him, so he sent bees and hornets. And they, you know, when he told them to go do it, they weren't willing to go, but God made them willing to go. He told them what to do, and they said, no, we're not doing it. And he sent hornets, okay, we'll go. <laughs> Jonah said, hey, go Jonah. 
When Jonah was sent to the work of the Lord, the outlook was not very bright. He never had done such a hard thing before, so he packed and ran home from the fight. Now God sent a big fish to swallow him up. The story I'm sure you all know. God did not compel Jonah to go against his will, but it sure made him willing to go. Well, there's a lot of things in life that, you know, I don't want to do, but I would rather submit to the Lord and get on the same page with him than spend your entire life fighting against a God that your arms are too short to box with him. He loves you. And he's got the whole world in his hands. I've got the whole world above my head, but he's got it in his hands. He loves the world, and he loves everybody. He loves Ninevites, and he loves children. You know, whenever it came to Jonah, Jonah says, oh, yeah, you're upset with the gourd that you didn't bring to grow up. You didn't bring it in. I brought it in. I gave you a day of comfort, and now I take it down, and you're now mad again, want to die. He said, you care more about a gourd than you care about the gospel. Then you care about 120 little kids that are so young they haven't learned their left hand and their right hand yet. I don't know who that is in this room, but it's probably two and three-year-olds. 120 of them running around there. He said, you don't care about them? He passed them by, but he didn't care about them enough. He cared more about his own personal comfort. I want to just say to you, everybody has a gourd. You got something that you think is more important than, than getting the gospel to someone. I want to encourage you to ask God, Lord, in this month of missions, help me to identify my gourd. What is it that I don't care about? Years ago, I heard the story. It's a, it's, a, it's a story of a guy who was a Greek teacher. I think his name was Demonstrates, but he was, he was a orator. And he, he, was, he was a good speaker when he was a kid. He started putting rocks in his mouth and trying to speak out into the ocean waves to get articulations and pebbles in his mouth. He was really good. He was speaking one day to a bunch of Greeks, and they weren't paying attention. He was speaking to matters of life and death and, and uh, trying to get their attention, and they were just yawning off and probably playing on their iPads or iPhones or something. They were not interested in what he, he was trying to get them to, 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 to understand. And then it was obvious they weren't paying attention, and it didn't matter to them. And so he said, let me tell you a story. There was a guy. He had a whole bunch of... A bunch of uh, wood on his shoulder, and he was walking. He had to crawl a mountain. And a guy said to him, listen, why don't you rent my donkey? Rent my donkey, and we'll put it on his back, and I'll take it over the mountain with you, and then, you know, you won't have to carry it. He goes, that's not a good idea. So he pays the money, rents the donkey, puts, the, puts all the, the luggage, the, the, uh, the sticks on his back, puts on the donkey, and they start going across. It was hot and miserable about halfway through into that situation. It was a midday sun. The donkey was there. And the guy who'd rented the donkey sat down behind, beside the donkey and took the donkey as his shade. And he said, uh, he sat down there, and the guy who owned the donkey said, no, 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 uh, you rent the donkey, but you didn't rent the shade. The shade's mine. I need you to get up. He said, no, 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 I rented the donkey, and I, rented the, I get the paid for the shade. He said, no, 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 I've got the shade. And he's trying to get him up. He says, no, now, hang on a second. He started fighting back and forth and arguing. Who gets to sit in the shade of the donkey? The guy who owns the donkey or the guy who rents the donkey? And they started fighting back and forth, and the speaker, Demonstrates, stepped back and walked off the stage. And all the people said, hey, 
Don't leave us hanging. What happened? Who was right? And he said, you know, came back to the platform. I've been speaking about matters of life and death, and no one cares. And all you care about is who wins an argument about the shade of a donkey. We get caught up with dumb stuff. Arguing with someone on Facebook. Putting herself out there and showing herself and talking to everybody and out there and when and we won't go across the street and talk to one about the Lord. We spend all the time videoing herself and telling all the stuff we put into our house, into our lands, and all this property we're doing, and this and that and the other, and we, we can't make it to Saturday soul winning. We're not willing to get on the bus route. We'll spend energy doing this and that and the other. We'll go here and fly here and, and work over here, but we won't visit someone in the hospital. We won't give out a gospel track. We spend our life arguing about the shade of a donkey when there's a lot bigger things to think about. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm convicted thinking about this. In just a few days, everyone must have something in common. We're going to stand before Jesus. It'd be a good idea if we stopped blaming everybody. Quit blaming your mama and your daddy and brother so-and-so who disappointed you and this person over there. And why don't you just take an inventory of your own heart and say, you know, what am I doing with my life? Arguing about the shade of a donkey? Or am I going to spend my life trying to do something to make a dent in eternity for somebody's good? Maybe somebody who can't tell the right hand from their left. God will bring together in our hearts. I hope that this month God will do something. It doesn't matter if you're a construction worker or you work in a factory or you're an office job or you're rehabbing or you're flipping houses or you're doing daycare or you're working at this, this place. It doesn't matter what you do. All of us ought to do something to get the gospel to somebody else. Around the corner and around the world.